I am joined now by Blake Lovell, a regular on the podcast, good friend of mine, and a college basketball expert. Blake, how are we doing today? Yeah, I do well, man. It's good to, good to be on with you as always. Man, I tell you what, uh, we were talking before we got on here. It feels like a nuclear bomb dropped on the world of college basketball, not in the sense of NCAA violations, but coaching changes. Just talk about all that stuff yesterday, especially that Roy Williams uh, bomb that he was retiring. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it's huge. And you just think of kind of the, the potential domino effect that could have, you know, when it comes to the coaching carousel and all that, if they were to, you know, hire someone outside of their current staff. Um, you know, so, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's significant. I mean, he's one of the, one of the best to do it. I mean, you just look at his track record. I mean, just had a fantastic career. And, you know, I don't know that it was that shocking overall. Um, I think there, you know, there had been some speculation that this was kind of the move that was going to be made um, after the NCAA tournament. And, you know, it's sure enough, that's, that's what happened. And I think, you know, as a lot of people pointed out, there are a variety of reasons, I'm sure, that, that go into these decisions uh, for guys like that. But I think just if we're, we're in a situation – so where does becoming, uh, I think, uh, you know, a pretty demanding workload now, just in terms of um, the transfers and, and all this other stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's a big one. And, and again, it could, um, you know, depending on who takes that job, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to kind of see uh, what happens there. Before we talk about his legacy, because, you know, he obviously three national championships, one of the all time winningest college basketball coaches, a Hall of Fame coach. Everybody knows his accolades. And we'll talk about that. But put on your AD hat for a second. Where does North Carolina turn, and who are the guys you're hearing to possibly replace Roy Williams? Yeah, I mean, I think you see anywhere you look, everyone's going to connect dots. And I think the two ones they'll connect the most will be Hubert Davis, who's already on the staff there, um, you know, and has been there and ingrained in that program. Or, you know, some up-and-coming guys, very well-respected. Um, he's done a pretty good job at Greensboro, and former North and seeing that tradition that carries on uh, there with that program. So I can't say I'd be shocked. You know, those guys are going to get interviews. I'd be very surprised if they didn't. Um, but, but you know, elsewhere, it's interesting because I I think that you know North Carolina is not going to have any shortage of options. Like I said, I think the the biggest question is, do they consider those options if they're not people with, with North Carolina-type ties? And I think that's going to be the really big uh, discussion point on this because if they're fine with going outside the box, you know, if I'm North Carolina, I think you can start as high as you want to start because there are going to be a lot of people that will listen to that job uh, just based on the history and, um, you know, again, the tradition and all these other things. But I also think something to, to certainly keep an eye on is you know, the guys who have played there before, and obviously there's one in particular, uh, Mr. Michael Jordan, who um, knows a little few things about basketball. Um, th- those guys are going to have input on, on whatever decision I think that is made with the future of this program. So that's something to keep in mind in terms of, you know, a lot of people have talked about Jerry Stackhouse. He's a very sort of wild card type candidate just because he hasn't had success at Vanderbilt. But you know what? He's someone else that's pretty well respected uh, in the coaching circles in terms of, uh, a guy that, you know, certainly has a lot of history in basketball, has a lot of history with that program. I think for anyone stepping into that Vanderbilt job was not going to have a lot of success, no matter who it was, uh, just based on where the program's at. Uh, 
can't say I'd be shocked if he were to get an interview or something like that. Um, so that's another one, maybe just a wild card, you know, potential interview. I don't know if he gets the job, but um, that could be a name that, that's thrown around in the mix. So it'll be interesting, man. I, I think they, again, they're not going to have any shortage of options. It's just a matter of do they decide they want to go with a Carolina guy. If they do, I think there's some pretty clear-cut candidates that we just talked about on those. So if they don't, I mean, they could. You know, they could come out with someone out of the blue that already had a pretty good job, but uh, considers North Carolina to be a better one. So. Now, when you and I have been around the game of college basketball our whole life, talk about, just shortly talk about the legacy that Roy Williams leaves behind on the game. Because for me, I mean, you look at college basketball, you think of him, Coach K, Coach Cal. I mean, those are old school guys that are now aging out of that college basketball spectrum. But what is the impact on college basketball that Roy Williams has had? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. I mean, I just think that, you know, he's someone who's won multiple championships. And I think what what really speaks to me always when we talk about legacies for coaches and all that is how does it carry over, you know, from one place to the other? And I think that guys who are able to do it at different schools, I think that speaks to your, your coaching ability a lot. Um, you know, it's not maybe always, sure, you could go and, and go to this school that can attract top players and have success there, but if you go somewhere that maybe doesn't have that same type of name value or something, then, then what do you do? Like, are you still as good? Which, you know, for him, I mean, Kansas and North Carolina, they're two of the best programs in history, but you know what? Also, there's a reason he got those jobs is because he was considered, you know, one of the best in the game. So, um, I think that's something where he'll, and we talk about respect too. I mean, he's, he's someone that I don't think you're going to see a lot of people have many bad words about uh, outside of, you know, maybe rival fan bases. Um, they, you know, half the stuff that's probably just, you know, made up or they want to find reasons not to like someone. But I think we just look at it. I mean, he's someone that's very well respected, um, always has been. He's done a lot for the game. And that's like I said earlier. I mean, you, you see the reports out there that maybe it's just gone to that point to where, you know, college basketball was changing, and, and he didn't necessarily know that, that he wanted to, you know, deal with it, knowing that the landscape is, is about to change pretty significantly. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's one of the best to ever do it. I don't think he's any doubt about that. Before we get talking about Texas and Texas Tech in the Final Four, obviously, I want to ask you about the Indiana coaching hire that the Hoosiers made. A lot of guys had talked about Brad Stevens. I don't know how possible that could have been if Brad Stevens, if that was even a possibility. But they went out and hired Mike Woodson, who played at Indiana, hasn't been a head coach in college basketball. But where do the Hoosiers turn now, and how would you early on? I know we you know, throw grades out there, and that's our, that's our job as media to talk about this coaching hire. But talk about the Indiana coaching hire, and what do you expect to see out of the Hoosier uh, basketball program? Yeah, I mean, I don't ever think that Brad Stevens was in the mood for this again. We, you know, I think there's a difference now. I mean, it's kind of fitting, I guess, that Indiana and North Carolina open in the same off season. But um, I think there's there's a difference with where those programs are at in terms of um, you know historical purposes. We know what they've achieved, but Indiana at this point, I mean, that's a what we look at the Big Ten. Indiana's a, a halfway team. I mean, in terms of a middle of the pack. Um, you know, can they be higher? Of course they can. Uh, I just think that given where that program's at right now, I don't know that the necessarily the interest met the expectations uh, overall. And that's not the not you know Mike Woodson or anything. I think he's he's someone again, like we just talked about with Carolina. They wanted to keep it with what the fans knew from the winningest point of their history. You know, have someone that is directly tied to the tradition of the program um, and can maybe bring that back. 
and understands maybe some of the things that it takes to do that. Uh, but the problem is, you know, just like with other coaching hires that are made, when you go get guys that, you know, have been at the NBA level, haven't coached in the college level at that point, um, you know, at somewhere like an Indiana, it's really hard. Like, I don't even know how you grade it because you just, there, there's so little to go on because I think a lot of people, when Jawan Howard took the job at Michigan, I mean, there are people who didn't know. Like they said, okay, this is a guy who's, who's come, certainly, certainly, you know, well-respected guy in the NBA, but how are you going to be able to do in college? And, and I think that's something where I feel like it's, I'm willing to, to wait to be honest because, again, I think for anyone who's lost in Indiana is going to have their pick of Brad Stevens or Scott Drew or guys like that. I don't think it was ever realistic. So um, I think having Ben Mata there uh, on that staff is important. But that was a pretty significant addition uh, right off the bat to say that, hey, we're going to have someone like this involved who has had a lot of success at the college level. Um, I don't have any doubt that Mike Wood's going to be able to build a, a pretty decent staff there. But, again, you're doing it in a pretty tough conference uh, in the Big Ten, and you don't really see a lot of those programs going backward at this point. Um, so I think it's as long as the expectations aren't unrealistic, which uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case, um, I think he certainly has a chance to, to do a fine job there. Do you think Indiana will be ever become back to what they were um, back when, you know, our parents were growing up and, um, you know, early 2000s, they were still good. 2012, they were made it to Sweet 16. And I think it was 2015, 2014, they were all the way Sweet 16, Elite Eight. Will Indiana basketball ever be back to that level again? I don't know because I, I think it's, it sort of goes full circle what we talked about. College basketball is so different now. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people still want to live in the era where it was just the same teams every year. You know, it was the same 10 teams you knew going into the season that were going to be in there. You do do Kentucky, Carolina, Indiana, um, you know, some of those Kansas, teams like that. You knew they were going to be there. But I think because the competition has gotten, you know, the level of competition, the number of transfers, um, you know, that kind of stuff, different conferences, you know, we, draw the relation with the SEC that have fully committed to basketball now. I just don't know. I don't know that we're ever going to see this situation where you're just going to see a ton of these, you know, super teams that every single year are just invincible. Um, you know, you're not going to see, I think, in this era, I mean, how many, right? I mean, how many teams, the last teams to, to win back-to-back -back -back <laughs> championships was, what, 15 years ago? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just not – I think we've got to, which, again, it's easier said than done, but I think there are people that, that want to still live in that era. It, it's not the same era, and I think you have to have different expectations in terms of, look, we, we talk about every year with Kentucky. Kentucky wants to win the national championship every year, so does, Duke, so does Carolina, all that. But it's just not, like, you're not going to win the title every single year anymore. Um, it's just such a different game, and even with your best teams, We've seen the competition get much better, not just at the power conference level, but at the mid-major level. You know, Gonzaga, they're a national power now. Um, you know, all, all these other programs that have built themselves in teams, um, you know, that aren't just there one year and done. Like, they're, they're programs that have consistently win. They have a chance to consistently win in the NCAA tournament. It's not just the same five teams anymore. Um, so I think that's something to the always, you know, again, it's not just Indiana. Like, I think you can say the same thing about Kentucky. You say the same thing about a lot of other programs. Um, we're not in the Bill Walton, UCLA, John Wooden era. Like we're not, we're not yeah. reeling off, um, you know, for seven straight national championships. It's just not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Now heading down to the Lone Star State. Obviously, we got two Final Four teams. We're going to talk about those teams: Texas, Texas Tech. 
that rivalry just got a nice little spark. And I think it's going to be fun to watch. Chris Beard takes the Texas job, leaves Texas Tech. Everybody knows what he built down there. I mean, they were competing for a national championship two years ago. Talk about that hire from Texas. And where do you see Texas in maybe two to three years once Chris Beard gets his uh, system in there? Yeah, I think Texas will become one of those teams that sort of we, we flop into that same category. Maybe not historically, um, having you know the number of wins and all that. But I, I think Texas is probably going to be here to stay as the top ten type team with Chris Beard there. I mean, they they were going to do whatever they had to do to get him. That's what it comes down to. And I feel like you know certainly they did that. Um, they they did what they had to do. And I think he's just look he he went he won so much at Texas Tech, and now you know your recruiting base opens up even more. Um, that's a very appealing job. It's a very appealing. Um, you know, place to recruit. So just there's so many different elements I think it's going to allow him to have even more success than, than he had at Texas Tech. So um, I have no doubt that, that he's going to, you know, Texas is that's one of those teams where we say um, they're, they're probably going to be one of those. You can lump in there every year as long as he's there and say that team's probably going to be, you know, top 10 team every year, I would say. Yeah. Now, before we, I, I want to ask you this before we get into the Final Four talk. Uh, we saw with the University of Memphis, and a lot of people have been talking about transfer portal, transfer portal, transfer portal. Memphis lost four guys. They just had Jordan Nesbitt hit the transfer portal guy and they are as well. And they've also talked about Musa CSA, who's possibly leaving. Do you think that that is a concerning sign for Penny Hardaway, or is that just a sign of the times out with kids that's one-time transfer rule? And what would you do about it? How, how, would, how do you approach this? Yeah, I think it's, Honestly, I, I think it's so hard to pin down what it would be aside from because we, we just we see so many. I mean, there's what 1,200 guys in the transfer portal, um, and I have a feeling they all have different reasoning. Uh, but I also have a feeling there's a common reasoning with a, a good chunk of them, and that's that either they felt like they should be in a bigger spot, um, have more opportunity, play more minutes, whatever. I just think that's the way it is. Um, and, and you know, I'm not I'm not knocking college kids for having the chance to go do what they want to do. I, I'm fine with them having the flexibility, but it's just the nature of the game now um, where, you know, I think we, we're so quick to blame it on coaches rather than, I think, just to say, hey, it's it's part of the rules, too, where if the rules allow more freedom, um, kids are going to take advantage of that because they're going to have people in their ears saying, hey, you need to take advantage of that. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, I think that it's hard now in this era to really pick out what you think the exact reasoning is for some of this. And I think this is just another one of those situations. Now, looking over at the Final Four, we got a Lone Star sh- uh, showdown tomorrow at 415. Houston takes on Baylor. Houston's a program that I'm familiar with, with the American, that, I mean, they are really, really good, taking on a really good Baylor team. How do you see this matchup playing out, and who do you have winning? Yeah, I think it should be a good game. Uh, very physical, you know, two teams that, I mean, look, they're just very aggressive type teams. Um, I think the, the edge probably, you know, for me still would go to Baylor just because I think Houston does a really good job on the offensive glass, as you know, and, and I feel like with Baylor's strength and size and athleticism, I think that's something they'll be able to take away. I don't know if Houston will get as many second-chance looks as they did, you know, in a lot of these other games. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Plus, we have to remember – I think Baylor's guards can, can sort of counter what, you know, guard play for Houston, too. So I just feel like Baylor, you know, as one of those teams that when they came off the pause, we weren't sure that they were going to get back to the level they were before. I think as we saw, even the Arkansas game, um, 
the way they started that game, when they put up 30 points in the first 10 minutes, they're, they're just they're really, really good. And, and I feel like they're going to be able to exploit some of those things. Even for a Houston team that's very efficient on offense and defense, I think Baylor's going to be able to take care of business and move on in this one. On the other end, on the other side of things, you've got Gonzaga, UCLA. UCLA has been the Cinderella of this tournament, uh, winning what five games and, and and starting with the play-in game. Does UCLA have a chance to beat Gonzaga, or is Gonzaga just that good? Yeah, I just think Gonzaga's that good. I just don't. I don't know. I just don't see how UCLA matches up with them um, with the style of play and that kind of thing. I mean, UCLA's been able to play their style against Michigan. You know, they, they did it against Alabama, teams like that. But I just I don't see how they can do that against Gonzaga. We just don't have the sample size to support that. Um, Gonzaga's been able to play their style against every team they've played. And they're just too overwhelming offensively. I mean, that's the thing. is Gonzaga could have a bad shooting night. They're still probably put up 80. Um, and I just don't, you know, UCLA has a bad shooting night. They may not put up 50. So I think that's the problem here for, for the Bruins. And, and, look, I think that Cronin, fantastic coach, but it's going to have to be, you know, his best coaching job of his career if he's going to be able to find a way to slow down this Gonzaga team because uh, everything kind of points towards, I think, another double-digit win for the Zags. And quite honestly, I can see them winning this game by 20-plus points, uh, which is pretty crazy for a Final Four game. But I just I think they're that good, and I think they're one of the best teams we've seen ever, probably at this point, if they were to go on and, and finish undefeated and, and win the national now, looking at this Gonzaga-Baylor potential matchup, we're going to close with this. How do you see that one playing out? Does Baylor have a chance to beat Gonzaga? Or you were talking about this Gonzaga team being possibly one of the best teams we've seen in our lifetime. Is, is this just Gonzaga's year? Yeah, I think Baylor can, can do some things. I mean, I think those are clearly the two best teams we've seen all season. I think Baylor can make it interesting. Um, but I just, you know, again, if you're putting, if you're putting me in the spot to say, if you have to choose which team or the other, like I just think anyone's probably still going to pick Gonzaga based on what we've seen. Um, there's just nothing I think that we've seen this season to tell us that we think Gonzaga is going to lose the game. Like that's crazy to think about, but like there is, but there have been no weaknesses that I've seen to say, boy, they really need to worry if they get to this point or to that point against this team or that team. I just haven't seen it. Um, and so I just think I think it's one of those where I would be very surprised if Gonzaga is not the team cutting down the nets. Uh, but at the same time, you know what? Like I said, it has been Gonzaga and Baylor and everyone else. Um, I think the Bears are talented enough at guard to make it interesting. I just don't know that they're going to be able to have uh, the 40-minute game that, that someone needs to have to beat this Gonzaga team. He is Blake Lovell, a regular on the Mitch Davis Show. And tell them where they can follow you, all all of your excellent work. you got a really cool website. I checked it out the other day. You've also uh, got a lot of good basketball te- tweets. T- Tell them where they can follow you on Twitter and your website as well. Yeah, I appreciate it as always. Much like you said, the southeastern14.com, that's all the SEC stuff. You can check that out there. Of course, Blue Ribbon Yearbook, uh, we'll have that uh, back out again, of course, before next season. But you can still check out everything over there, blueribbonyearbook.com. And, uh, yeah, for all the other college basketball-related work, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Blake Bubble. Thanks, Blake. Have a good one.